So who are you? If you were asked that question, who are you, how would you respond? Like, for instance, if I asked you to come up here on stage and grab the microphone and you grabbed the microphone and you looked at everyone in the auditorium and everybody at Grayson campus and everybody watching online and I said, who are you? What would you say? You know, most people, they would probably say their name. Hi, my name is Daniel Lucas. You would start with your identity of what your name is. You would probably go in and say, maybe depending on what location you are, your family. Hey, I'm Daniel. My family is, depending on where you're from, you begin to talk about your roots, who you're connected to, especially in small town. Hey, my name is Daniel. You might know my parents. My parents are. You fill in the blank. You would probably go in and tell them what you do for a living. Hey, my name is Daniel, and I'm a pastor of a church in Moorhead, Kentucky. And then you would say the place of where you are. Like, how would you identify yourself? If someone asked you, put you in a spot, who are you? How would you respond to that? Most of it's at surface level. Most of us don't get to the person who we are, what someone would actually describe you. Like someone, who, how would they describe you? Oh, that's so-and-so. And then they would say, this is who they are. They are sweet. They're kind. They're a generous person. Uh, they're, they're fun to be with. Last night, I was sitting around the table and I asked my family. I went around and said, who are you? And they looked at me and was like, what do you mean, Dad? Who am I? What are you talking about? I said, who are you? What would you say if there's teacher said, get in front of the class and say, who are you? They said exactly what I would say. They said, hi, my name is so-and-so. My dad's a pastor. They ought to identify themselves with their family. My youngest daughter said, here's where I live. And she looked at me. She goes, now, what's our address? I said, honey, don't give people our address. Don't be giving nobody. She was ready to say, here's my address. Here's where I live. What's the number? She wanted to know. And then they would say, you know, here's what I like to do. She goes, I like to dance. I'm a ballerina. She tells you the things that she likes to do. My son would say, I like to fish. I like to hunt. They would try to describe their actions to you. So you would put a picture together. Here's probably how old they are. This is probably their family. This is where they're from. And this is what they like to do. As if that's who we are. And then I asked the question, probably the second question that maybe someone would ask you today was, who is God? Like, who is God to you? And today in our society, and obviously not this our society, it's been for all, you know, history of mankind, you about have to ask, what God are you talking about? See, this word God, the little g, God is like spoken of all through society and for generations to come. Well, what God are you talking about? Because we live in a world of plurality where the, the pluralism of all these gods, what God are you talking about? Are you talking about, you know, the Muslim God? Are you, you talking about the Hindu God? Or what God are you talking about? The Christian God, the, the Jewish God? Like what God, please help me understand. When you say who is God, which one are you referring to? Then I can maybe answer your question. But who can answer a question so much as who is God? Like, how can we describe and fathom God? Who is he? You know, I, so I ask people this. I ask, ask my child, I ask my kids, say, so who is God? And of course, you know, they have the church answers, right? They say, well, God is the creator of all things. And that's what probably you would say. Well, God is the creator of all things. My daughter said, he lives in heaven. He's up there in, the, in, in, in heaven somewhere. Maybe you've been told it's the big guy in the sky. Like the big guy upstairs. I've heard people say all the time, the big guy upstairs. I wonder what he would think about me. And as long as I make the big guy in the sky, okay, the big guy upstairs. Is that who God is, the big guy? See, most of us, if you've been in church, you would say, well, he's the creator. And you would say he's, he has a son named Jesus. He sent his son. And you'd give all the, like the church answer, right? But who is God? Like, who is he? Can you explain him? Do you even know what he means? Do you know what he is, who he is? You see, on the surface level, a lot of times, we don't even know who we are. 
Most people spend their lives going, I don't even know who I am. Yes, this is my name. This is what I do for a living. If I ask you, you would say, I'm a teacher, I'm a banker, or I'm an electrician, or I'm a pipe fitter, or I'm a farmer, I'm a rancher. Hey, I'm a stay-at-home mom. I, you know, I'm in the sales. I sell insurance. Like, as if that's who you are. You think what you do describes who you are, or a title means who you are. Most people have no idea who they are, especially if you've given your life to Jesus, who you are in Christ. And until we have a picture painted clearly of who God is, as best as we can fathom, because who can fathom God? As our finite mind, as best, if we could have a picture of who God is, then we could have a better picture of who we are. But most of us, we don't know who God is. We seek to find out, like, what is he? And who is he? And why is he here? And, and what does he want to do with me? And what's his purpose in my life? And in fact, the most important belief that you would ever possess is a knowledge, a true knowledge of who God is. The second one, the most important belief is who you are in Christ. Why? Because you cannot consistently behave in a way that's inconsistent of how you perceive yourself. You act the way that you perceive yourself. You are the person that you perceive yourself. If you perceive yourself as a loser, a nobody, no good, damaged goods, then you will live that way. How you perceive yourself goes a long way. And most people don't know who they are. They can't perceive themselves in Christ. Because it's not what we do that determines who we are, right? A teacher, a banker, a coach, whatever it means. It's not what we do that determines who we are. It's who we are inside that determines then what we do. And let me tell you something the enemy wants. He does not want you to know who you are, especially in Christ. John 10, 10 says he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your self-image. He wants to destroy your purity. He wants to destroy everything about you. But Jesus says, I've come that you can have abundant life, a full life. We like to say a better life than you've ever dreamed of. And the enemy's going to do everything he can to keep you in bondage. And here's two ways he can do this. One, that you don't know who God is. And two, you don't know who you are. Two very important questions. Who is God? Who are you? How would you describe that? Well, in Exodus chapter three, if you have your Bibles, if you'll go with me to Exodus chapter three. As we kick off this series, I want, to, I want to begin in this passage because this passage will set up the next seven Sundays. As we walk through this, as we study who is God, which I think is a very important question, especially in our society today, with the pluralism and the pluralities of gods out there, they all don't lead to the same place. You'll hear people say they all lead to the same place. No, they don't. It's all the same God, just different religions call them a different name. No, that is not true. So who is God? Who is he? And what does he want you to do? And how does he want to use you? When Exodus chapter three, as we kick this off, I'll be using a New Living Translation. The story, the backstory, and this is the, you know, I'll give you the cliff notes here. Some of you heard a guy named Joseph. If not, you've seen the play, Joseph, the coats of many color. Long story short, he goes to Egypt, sold into slavery in Egypt, becomes the vice president of Egypt. And a famine comes. And because of that, he's able to move the Israelites, his people, his family, his connection to Egypt. Life is good for them. Things are great. Pharaoh allows the Israelites to live in Egypt. They, they live in the land. God begins to multiply the Israelites. In fact, they outgrew the population of the Egyptians. The Pharaoh died. A wicked Pharaoh came into, into leadership. And Pharaoh's like, listen, these guys are outgrown us. They absolutely could overthrow Egypt if we don't do something. So what does he do? He puts them in bondage and puts them in shackles and he puts them in slavery. And so now here's God's people, the Israelites, God's chosen people are now enslaved to the Egyptians. 
400 years pass by, 400 years, generation after generation after generation, born into slavery. That's all they knew. Well, one day, there's a lady, she's a Hebrew woman. She gives birth to this little boy. Long story short, Pharaoh's daughter gets this little boy, names him Moses. Now, you've heard of Moses, or at least maybe you've watched the movie. And he takes him and he says, I'm going to adopt the Hebrew boy and raise him in the Egyptian palace and he will come my adopted son. And so she calls him Moses because she drew him from the river. Moses is raised up with all the fine things you can think of life, the finest education, the finest uh, food, the finest clothing, the finest uh, uh, finances, everything you can imagine he's raised up. So now he sees every day his people because he, he knows where he come from. He knows he's adopted. He knows he's a Hebrew. And he sees his people in slavery. Well, the Bible tells us around the age of 40 years old, Moses decided to go down out of the palace into where his people were in slavery. Well, as he walks through the town, as he walks through seeing his people that he came from in slavery being abused, he got upset one day as he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew slave. Now that word in Hebrew, beating, means to smite him. Literally, the guy was going to kill the Hebrew. But Moses, in his anger, jumps ahead to deliver, takes the Egyptian, kills the Egyptian, protecting the Hebrew, kills the Egyptian, and then buries him into the sand. Pharaoh, his step-granddad, like his step-grandfather, Pharaoh, the king, Decides he hears about this to kill Moses. So now he's out to kill Moses and Moses fled for his life. Moses runs as far as he can run away and he runs to the end of the desert in the wilderness. As he comes there, he meets these people and he takes care of them. He protects them and all this stuff. And finally, he finds a guy, his name, his name is Midian, who's a priest. And he ends up marrying the priest's daughter. And he works for his father-in-law, Jephro, tending the flock and becomes a rancher. 40 years now have passed since he killed the Egyptian. Moses is now 80 years old, 40 years living in Egypt, 40 years living in the wilderness. He's out on Mount Sinai attending the flock for his father-in-law at the age of 80, still working, still a farmer, still a rancher, still providing for his family. In Exodus chapter three, we pick up with that story if you want to know the backstory, go to Exodus 2. But Exodus chapter 3, we pick up with the story. And I want you to hear this interaction between God and Moses. In verse 1, it says, One day Moses was tending the flock for his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He's 80 years old, by the way. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. He's going to realize Sinai is going to be a big place for him in the future. They're the angel of the Lord. This is called a, a theophany. This is where we believe that Christ incarnate appears. The angel of the Lord appeared. This is Jesus speaking. He, the angel of the Lord. We see that through the text of the Old Testament. We will call that a theophany where God comes and he speaks and Jesus speaks. And watch this. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in the flames, it did not burn up. The 80-year-old Moses says, this is amazing. Why? Because I've been out in the wilderness for 40 years. I've never seen a, a tumbleweed catch on fire and not be consumed. This is something. Why isn't this bush burning up? I must go see it for myself. So here's Moses attending his own business, doing his own thing, reminiscing on his past for 40 years, living in the palace, now 40 years living in the wilderness. 
wondering what to do next, taking care of his father-in-law's flock. He's 80 years old. How much longer does he have in life? No one knows. We don't know. At this point, he doesn't know, but he's doing what he knows what to do. So we pick up in verse four. It says, now when the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush. Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Don't come any closer, the Lord warned him. Take off your sandals for you are standing on holy ground. So what does Moses do? He takes his sandals off and he comes a little closer. And this is what comes from the bush. I am the Lord God. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Now, Moses heard about stories about how Elohim, how God had provided for his people. He heard stories about Joseph bringing the Israelites to Egypt and then how Egypt now put them in bondage. But who is he? How can he deliver his people? His grandpa is Pharaoh. His adopted mother is, is heir to the throne potentially. How am I to go and release God's people? So for 40 years living in Egypt, he saw his people and reminded of the bondage. He reminded how God took care of them in the famine, but now how? They're in slavery. And now for 40 years in the wilderness thinking, what's going on with the Israelites? How is they treated now? What's taking place? And God said, Moses, I need you to do something for me. Now, I think that's pretty fascinating that if you know this, if you're standing out in the woods and you start hearing a voice from a bush, something's wrong, right? Typically, like that's just not right. You know what I'm saying? Like something just is not right. You know, if somebody, could you imagine your friends come out, dude, I was out hunting and dude, I'm telling you what, this tree began to speak to me. Like, like, bro, like what was you doing out there, right? Like, what are you doing up there in the mountains? Like something's just not right. So I know we think about that, but put yourself in the story. This, Moses was no different than you and me. Moses was doing what he does best, and that's just tending to the flock. And all of a sudden, he hears a voice. And you know what's even crazier? Not only does he hear the voice, but he talks back to it. Now, that's one thing to hear. It's another thing to talk back. He says, I'm the Lord your God, verse 7. Then the Lord told him, I've certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cries of distress because of the harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile, spacious land. And in this land, it will be flowing with milk and honey. Now, have you ever seen a land flow with milk and honey? What does it mean when something flows with milk and honey? Milk don't just flow. There's no milk trees. You know what I'm saying? There's no like a tap in a rock where you go turn it on and milk flows. What is he saying here? He's saying the land would be full of cattle and the land would be full of bees. Cattle, right, produces milk. Bees produces honey. You can't have no honey if you don't have bees. So what he's trying to say is this land will be such a great abundance of land. The cattle, the herd will be amazing. The bees will pollinate the place where you have all the milk and all the honey that you need. So the land where the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorites, the Pezzarite, the Hittites, the Jebusites, if you're low, you need some electrolytes. You know what I'm saying? Like, just keep on going here, right? All the ites. He said, look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me and I've seen how harshly the Egyptians have abused them. Here's a couple of things, the observations. Number one, God knows exactly where you are. He knows exactly where you are. See, here's Moses thinks he's running and escaping from his past. He's running and escaped from the Egyptians. He's afraid that Pharaoh might take his life, so he runs and runs away. But God knew exactly where to find Moses on the back of the desert, 
if you read the text, it's on the way back side of the desert on Mount Sinai. Listen to me. God knows exactly where you are. Some of you here, you're running from God and you think you can hide. You can't hide from God. He knows exactly where you are. He knows every single thing about you. He knows every thought, every word, every circumstance, everything that keeps you up at night. He knows everything about you. You cannot hide and you cannot run from God, which means this. If God wants to use you and he listens, he's like, who am I? Who am I? How can God use me? I'm, you know, I'm from up the hall over here. God can't use me, man. You don't, know, you don't know my past. You don't know where I've come from. Listen, to God, that doesn't matter. He knows exactly where you are. And if he can find Moses in the back of the desert to use him, he can find you right here in Eastern Kentucky. He knows where you are. And not as though where, he knows who you are. He knows every single thing about you. Everything about you. And listen to this, he also sees and he hears everything. I hear the suffering, I see the suffering. He knows the suffering that you go through. He knows everything that you wish that everyone know and you seek help, he says, no, no, I know everything. I see it and I hear it. Your cries have reached my throne and I know what you need and I know how to deliver you and I know how to use you if you would just trust me. Verse 10. Now go, for I'm sending you to Pharaoh. Now, to Pharaoh. Now the Pharaoh passed away, so there's a new Pharaoh in place. So this is not like his granddad he's going back to. This is a new Pharaoh. And he says, now I'm sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people, Israel, out of Egypt. And watch this. Here it is. Moses protested to God. Ever protested to God? God asked you to do something? Uh-uh. God wants you to do something? No, I You ever protested to God? And look what he says, who am I? Who am I? Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I? So if Moses was here and I passed the mic off to Moses, it says, Moses, who are you? Could you tell the whole auditorium who you are? What do you think Moses would say to this point in his life? Not he's the one that walked across on dry ground and split the Red Sea and he's the one, you know, sitting on the mountain and saw the promise. Like, what would Moses say right then if he said, Moses, who are you? Moses says, I'm a Hebrew, adopted into the Egyptian family. I'm a murderer. I killed an Egyptian. Hid it. I'm a fugitive. On the run. I'm hiding in the wilderness, so no one would find me. Oh, by the way, this is my wife. Her dad's a priest. These are our children. I'm a rancher, right? You begin to tell them what you do, who you're connected to, but Moses would probably take a step further and tell you where he came from. I was a Hebrew born into slavery, but I was adopted into the palace. So you know where all those big crazy pyramids stuff? I used to live in that area. I used to understand how that stuff worked for 40 years of my life, but for the last 40 years, I've just been wandering in the wilderness, attending my flock, taking care of my family, working for my father-in-law, Jethro. That's who I am. Any other questions? Who am I? Who am I that you would ask me? Who are you that you can go and be used by God greatly? Like, who am I to go and start a church? Who am I, you may say, to go and witness to my friends 
at school? Who am I to go invite my friend to, to church with me? And the person, who am I to go to my neighbor and say, come on, you should get in a group with me and, and come over and let's meet once a week and talk about who this God is. Who am I that I can even host a group? Who am I that I can even witness to somebody? You know where I come from? I'm a fugitive. Man, I'm so messed up. Nobody even knows about it. Who am I? How many times have you protested to God? Who am I? I can't do that. What do you want me to do? He gives all the excuses. Who am I? In fact, if you want to go in and read, you can just write this down in Exodus 3 and chapter 4. He gives five excuses. One, he says, I don't know who I am. In fact, I've played this over and over for 80 years of my life. Who am I? Am I a Hebrew? Am I Egyptian? Do I believe in the forefathers, God, or not? Am I a, am I a murderer? Am I a fugitive? Am I just a rancher? As long as I stay over here in the wilderness and mind my business and just die, maybe that's, I don't even know who I am. Who am I to even do this thing? And then he asked, he said, but I don't know who your name is. And then he goes on and says, the elders of Israel, when I go back to, they're not gonna believe, how are they gonna believe me when I come? They're not gonna believe me. He goes on and says, I'm not even a good communicator. I can't even speak. I've got a stuttering problem. Did you know Moses had a stuttering problem? He goes, I've got this disability that how can I even, I can't even speak eloquently to Pharaoh. Why would you even send me? I can't even speak. Did you know that? And then finally he gets to the end and he says, the last excuse, he says, listen, someone can do this better than me. Would you send someone else? See, all the excuses a lot of times we make, God's like, but I know you and I know where you are and I know how to use you greatly. Verse 12, God says this to him. This is what most of us, all we need to hear, we just don't believe this. Look what he says, I will be with you. What could you do knowing that God's with you? God says, listen, I want you to go over and witness to your friend. Don't worry about it, I'll be with you. I got you on this one, all right? <laughs> God's got my back, let's roll. Like, hey, I want you to go over and I want you to share your faith with these people. I, just, I can't do that, but I'll be with you. And I'll give you the words to say. I, how would you respond and act knowing that God is with you. No matter where you go, no matter what you do, that he is with you. He says, I will be with you and this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship me at, worship me at this very mountain. You'll come back to the mountain that you've wandered for 40 years. You'll come back to the mountain where you took sheep, dumb sheep, and stubborn sheep. You think they're stubborn? Wait till you meet my people. They're really stubborn. You're gonna have all these stubborn Israelites gonna come, but you're gonna come back here and you're gonna worship me on this mountain where I spoke to you, Moses. But Moses protested again. Why do we keep protesting to God? God speaks, tells us to do something, but then we don't do it. If I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God, the Elohim, in Hebrew, the, Elohim, the God of your ancestors has sent me. They will ask me, what is his name? What should I tell them? You see, they're no different than today. Listen, Egypt has all these gods. There's all these pluralities of God, God of Ra and all these, all these different gods, the sun gods and the people they worship. When I go back there, they're gonna say, what God? Who is God? Now, if you've been in bondage for 400 years and God brought you into this land that's flown with milk and honey and all of a sudden now you're enslaved and for 400 years of generations of generation, generation, are you kind of mad at God now? Have you taught your kids about God? The one that you think turned their back on you, the one that brought you into bondage, 
the one that led you here and now you're in slavery and you cry out, God, if you're really real, do you hear? Watch how the Egyptians are destroying us. Come on, where are you, man? When I go back to your people who are kind of upset at you, by the way, because you put them in this place and they're going to ask me, what's your name? What do I tell them? See, no different than the society we live in today. Who is God? And what God's name are you bringing to me? What God are you worshiping? Because there's a bunch of little G gods in this world. You know that, don't you? There's all these little G's gods. What God are you talking about? See, the world's okay if you kind of talk about a generic God because that's inclusive. It includes everyone. You don't leave any religion out, any faith out, any person out because it's very easy to talk about a little G God and just all just say generic God. I never forget my pastor. He was asked to speak at a high school graduation. They said, we want you to come and want you to share and speak to the children. And, you know, you're a beacon in this community and people look up to you and they're very well respected of you and we like for you to come. He looks at him and here's exactly what he says to him. Do you want me to talk about a generic God or a specific Jesus? And they clearly said, don't talk about specific Jesus. Talk about generic God. He said, well, I'm not your guy. Because I'm not going to talk about a generic God. We're going to talk about a specific Jesus who would change people's lives, who is the one true God over all gods, all little G gods. He is the one who reigns. Do you want me to talk about him? No. And for every year that he pastored that community, they asked him and he asked the same question. You want me to talk about little G God or can I talk about my God? Let's keep a little G God. Why? Because we don't want to offend anybody. We don't want to be offensive. Well, first, folks, the word of God is offensive. It's offensive to people. And the word of God will prick people's heart and offense. So he asked the question, who is this God? What is your name? And then what's what God says to him? God replies to him. He says, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. Now watch this. I am has sent me to you. Now, what in the world is that? Come on, God. Like, why can't you say, yo, what's up? My name is Tom. <laughs> you know, like, what's up? Just call me Tom. I'm Tom. Like, why can't you go with a, a regular name or something? What do you mean, I am? Like, how do you even say that? When you break that word down in Hebrew, actually, the verb is a present tense, means to be. That's what the verb means. The word means to be. So you want me to go back to Pharaoh and tell them that B sent me. Yo, what's up? B sent me here, man. B rolled me up here. B told me to come here and deliver you. Like B, my boy B. Y'all know B? That's his name. That's what it literally means. In fact, this name is God's covenant name that the Israelites had no way, or a Jew, even today, Jews do not know how to phonically pronounce it. And so what they did is they took, this is what we would say, Yahweh, or Yahweh. It's like bread. It's like Yahweh, Yahweh. You could barely even say it in Hebrew. There was no, there's no phonics to pronounce God's name right here. And so they would take the word Adonai, which means Lord, and took the vow of Adonai and add it to the word Yahweh so that they would have some phonics way to even pronounce the name. Even today, Jews today who, who are Orthodox Jews will not even say the name Yahweh because they're afraid they would say it in a way that's not appropriate and phonicsly, and they would actually do harm and bring harm to God's name. So they wouldn't even say it. He says, go back and tell them Yahweh, the covenant name, God's very personal. God has all these names in the Bible. That word Yahweh in English means Jehovah. We would say Jehovah Jireh. We just sing that Jireh. He's the God who provides. He's the Elohim who provides. He goes, you go tell them that 
Yahweh. That Yahweh has sent them. You go tell them Yahweh. Now, what does that even mean? I love what he says, I am. Now, watch this. I means it's personal. He says, Moses, I am your God. I am their God. You go tell them that your personal God your personal God, like God is personal to you. Can you think about that? That you have a personal connection with God. There's a personal God, not a distant God, not a God you have to go worship at a tomb or a statue or an idol. I am a living, personal God. I'm so glad he says I. And then he says am. You know what am is? It's the present tense. He says, I am present. I am a personal God that's presence at all time. I'm not past, I'm not future, I am now. I am always present. And that's so hard for our minds to, find, to, to even calculate that. How? Because we live in a space called time. God lives outside of time. He says, I am always present. There is no beginning, there's no end, there's no past, there's no future. It's today, it's present. I am a personal, present God today. And Moses Here's what you need to know. I am your God that is with you today. I will be with you tomorrow. I've always been the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They just don't know me personally. So you go tell them that Yahweh, Yahweh has sent them, has sent you to them. That is my covenant personal name for all the generations to come. That is amazing that God would say, listen, everything you need, watch this, I am. God, I just need you to be with me today. I got this meeting I'm going through. He's like, I am with you. I am present. I am your personal God today. I'm with you. I am. I am everything that you need. God, I need love today. I am your love. God, I need peace today. I am your peace. God, I need hope today. I am your hope. God, I need joy today. I am your joy. Whatever you like, I am. Whatever you need, I am. Whatever you're trying to fill your heart with, I am. Everything you search for in your entire life, I am. Do you understand? I am your personal God who loves you so much, has a relationship with you that I, I can see you on the back of the desert. I know exactly where you are. And if I have to light a flame in a bush to get your attention to come here, I will do whatever it takes for you to know that I am your God. I am with you. I am personal. I am Yahweh. I am the same God. And he figures this out from Exodus 4 all the way through the wilderness. You know what happens at the story. They go in the wilderness. They wander in the wilderness and all the stuff that takes place. And everything that God said he was, he was for them and provided for them every single day. And then verse 15. God also said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, Yahweh, I am. Maybe your translation says I am. You go tell the people of Israel that be sent you to be. I am what I've always have been. You go tell them that Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, they know they follow Abraham. They've heard of the stories. The God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. And these are the descendants of Jacob who now have stopped crying, stopped calling on the Lord and just cry out to him in anguish. What's what he says. This is my eternal name, my name to be remembered for all generations. Now you think about that. God says, you want to know what my name is? Who are you, God? And God would start just the way you start, with my name. Who are you? My name. What is your name? Yahweh. To be. I am. I am everything that you need. Everything you lack, I am. 
I am your personal God. I am, Yahweh is God's eternal, personal covenant name to remember for all generations. Don't flip there, but over there in John chapter eight, there's a debate going back and forth. Where's Jesus from? Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. Well, who's your father? They take a shot at Jesus. Jesus, you don't even know who your dad is. It's indirectly applied that your mom has been playing the harlot and everyone has talked about some miraculous birth. You even know who your father is. Who's your father? Jesus looks back and says, who's your father? In fact, your father's the devil and you father in your father's lies. They take a bad shot at Jesus going, your mom's been playing the harlot, hasn't she? She's been sleeping around. You even know who your dad is, Jesus. Because it's known that he had a miraculous birth. Where you come from? Who are you? They asked the question in John 8, verse 25. Who are you? The same question I started out with. Who are you? Jesus begins to say, let me tell you who you are before I tell you who I am. And he gets all the way down that says, well, listen, you, you, you got a demon, you're demon possessed. You, you, you must be a Samaritan. They, they, they threw all these racial slurs at him. They called him all these names. They talked about his family. Who You don't even have a, you're illegitimate. You don't even know who your father is. And they said, well, our father is Abraham, our ancestor. We know where we've come and we've never been in slavery. He's like, yeah, you have. Remember Egypt? <laughs> Remember the Persia? You're in right now under Rome? What do you mean you haven't been in bondage? Wait, he didn't go into that, but. They didn't understand it. And finally, Jesus says, the person you think your father is, Abraham, your father, Abraham, longed to see my appearance. And they looked at Jesus. How is that even possible? You're not even 50 years old. How do you know who Abraham is? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I want you to listen to what he says in John 58. We'll get to this in the series. Verse 59, he says this in 58. He says, Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was even born, Yahweh. Do you see what he just said? He said, before Abraham was even born, I am. You want to know my name? I am. You want to know where I'm from? I am. John 1 says, he's, he was the word, was with God, and is God, and was with God before the founding. You want to know who I am? I am. And look what happens next in verse 59. They bend down to pick up stones, to kill Jesus, which is a picture where Jesus says, you are like your father, which is the devil, because the devil's a murderer from the beginning, and they wanted to murder Jesus, so they're filling out what the father's DNA is. And Jesus, why would they pick up stones to throw at Jesus? Because he just committed blasphemy. He just took on the name above every name. He just took on God's personal covenant, eternal name. He says, you wanna know who I am? I am. And every single Jew sitting there knew exactly what he said. He claimed to be the I am, the one who spoke to Moses, the one who was before Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He took on God's covenant name. He said, you want to know who I am? I am God. I am to be. And they tried to kill him for blasphemy. Jesus claimed to be the I am. And in this series, we're going to go through the book of John. And we're gonna look at these statements where Jesus claimed to be the great I am and how this I am applies to your life.
and your daily living. It's gonna be amazing. You don't wanna miss this series. In fact, I'll encourage you, you need to get everybody you can out to be part of this because I'm telling you, I believe God's gonna move in this series because John says this, and we'll close. John writes in John 20, verse 31, he says, everything that I've written in this book, I've written this so that you would believe that Jesus is the I am, that he is the Messiah, that he is God, that he is the son of God. And by believing in his name, that you will have life and power through his name. That's what this series is going to be about. But watch this, before you can know who you are, you need to know who he is. And let me tell you who he is. He is my rock. He's my refuge. He's my protector. He's my refuge. He's my, he's my hiding place. He's my God. He's my comforter. He's my shepherd. He is my door. He is my light. He is the most high. He is right. He is just. He's my banner. He's my, he is good. He is love. He is here in this place. He is a consuming fire. He is, watch this, yesterday, today, and forevermore. He is the alpha. He's the omega. He is the great I am. And that's who we're going to worship and serve in our lives. I'm going to ask you to bow your head. Come on.